You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with David Tomas Martinez. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Well, I think to a certain extent that's happening to all of us at all times. You know, you have a sense of who you are and then you have that reflection by other people. You have a self-reflexive idea of yourself and then you have that what uh, how other people treat you and you're like sometimes they do not match up. I don't know. I feel like the trick is believing you are what you are while also having a certain amount. So it takes a certain amount of ignorance, but a certain amount of self-awareness to be able to change, to become who you want to be. <laughs> that makes sense. So for instance, say like you're talking about in the writing process, you have to believe that you have the ability to be a great writer and even believe very strongly in your strengths while understanding that you are not. And how one balances those two is important because if you truly do just are like, I'm an awesome writer, uh, you're never really going to become the writer that you can be. There's no such thing as being a good writer, a great writer or something like that. You're always in the process of becoming, you know, and you're always trying to be that. Uh, it's sort of like I try to, I try to think of things analogously. And uh, one of it is like, think of like a sports team or whatever sort of, you know, every year there's a champion and whether or not you win that championship, you have to go back the next year. And I feel like for me, every poem, every book is a season. And so at the end of that, I may have been successful. I may not have been, but regardless, I have to move on to the next season. And so like this, then it's that idea of process and continuing uh, the work without really excuse me, having an idea of what you want to do as a goal, a culmination, but that, that goal and culmination not being the ultimate destination it's really the process that's a synthesis of many different philosophies but you know but i also you know i don't ascribe to the idea of like i do and i don't it's like people are like poetry saved me like you know what i mean like i don't like to be hyperbolic in that way you know what i mean like for me education definitely saved me it, it, i had a very urban working class i was very much trapped in a specific milieu in a specific discourse and without education i wouldn't have been able to look i wouldn't have been able to expand my discourse and so i wouldn't have been able to know anything much more than my neighborhood my country uh, my language, all of the things that I was familiar with. And it was a very limited scope. So without education, I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things. And for me, poetry comes into that education because that's where I learned poetry was in college. I didn't consider myself. I went to college to play basketball. I went to college for athletics. I, at 21, I was a father of two. Poetry is the furthest thing from my mind. But as I got there and people started to tell me, hey, you're sort of good at this poetry thing. I started to see it as something I could do. Um, and, I, and it became something that, it was something that I could develop. It's kind of a- that's in my work though, that's attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's attention. And you can see that in the, in the various registers of language and the mixing of the Germanic and the Latinate, the banging against each other that I do of these high and low registers, quote unquote. And these sort of, disparate in some people's minds themes and sounds and things that wouldn't necessarily put together that's sort of my life and so i i try to reflect that
So one, at that time when I wrote this, there was an attention by the media on the killing of black men by the police, uh, black and brown men, but specifically black men. And when it happened in Florida, the police officer shot the man. The man was a caregiver for, uh, I believe, a developmentally disabled adult. He shoots him. The black man asks, why did you shoot me? And the cop says, I don't know. So this is floating in my head all day, this story. I'm just like, this is like many of the people around me. I was very angry. And I was partly angry, not only by what was happening, but by the fact that I've lived with this reality my whole life. And that now the media was paying so much attention to it and making it like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? This has been happening. This has been a reality for many of us. You know, I'd been pulled over in my youth and they sort of normalize a dehumanization via a process of exiting the car. That to me was all, that's all part of this brutality that happens. This is much more a psychological brutality than a physical brutality. You know, so all of these were circling in my head, these spotlighted police brutalities. But I'm living in New York and, you know, where they had had quite a few themselves. And I'm on the train and I'm despondent. I'm frustrated. But one of the things, having moved to New York City, I didn't. I think New York City has the reputation of having a bunch of, like there's just a bunch of mean people that live here. And, you know, because you're sort of paying attention, you're just doing your own thing. You're walking and you're not like, hey, every, hey, you know, everyone's not talking to each other. But there's a real camaraderie that comes with living here in New York City, I think. I think it's just, you know, you, there's 10 million people. You got to sort of look out for each other. Uh, and people will do some nice things for each other all of the time. There's these little kindnesses that happen. They'll drop your wallet. Somebody will be like, hey, excuse me, you dropped this or a credit card. It's happened to me many times. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, thank you. And I try to do that for other people, too. But we're on this train. It's rush hour. I got done teaching. And I was, it's a long train, about an hour from uptown back to Brooklyn. And this train is filled. And this butterfly comes through the train in rush hour, filled with people. And I saw the whole train just sort of, there was a specter of beauty in the train. And just for a moment, everyone just looked and was like, wow. Look at that nature. It's beautiful, right? You know, I saw people looking at each other. And somebody's on the pole and just turns around. I don't think the person saw what they were doing, but they turned around, this young man, and sort of just like went and just tried to swipe at it. And I swear he missed. But this whole train went from being like, oh, to whoop. And I thought they were going to charge this dude. Everyone was like, what the? And he was like, oh, and you could see the energy. I mean, you could feel it and he could, he could see it change. And he was like, Hey, oh, sorry. I, I didn't, didn't see. He was like, ah, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought it was like a, like a moth, you know? And I was like, Oh, think I'm going to keep this little moment. I felt like, I think I wanted to control in my minor way. Okay. Not in the national level, but like my, control the discourses around me about say identity or race or gender or sexual like be like okay we need to talk about all this and let's challenge it and break it down but also keep it true to a certain amount of of intellectual rigorousness and now i sort of like 
yo, that's bullshit. You can't do that. Like there's no real way of challenging these, these hierarchies or these structures. You have to sort of allow people to do what they're going to do. And, and there are going to be people that conflate complicated ideas, but at the end it'll all settle and you have to, and you have to sort of believe that we as a society and as a group will really come to a place that not only challenges and breaks these things down, but do so in a satisfactory manner. And I find that to be the hardest part with all of this is to trust people to do it in a way that I think is not harmful to us all. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, my greater goal I'm going to speak very frankly. I don't give a shit who wins the Pulitzer. I don't give a shit if it's black, brown. I mean, I do and I don't. You know what I mean? My biggest thing is I want multi, what you said, multiplicity of voices and there to be a, to be more representation, but sustained representation. What I don't want is the performative giving of like, oh, we haven't given it to a Mexican, so we got to give it to a Latino, you know? Like just the performative giving of sometimes. And these things happen in, in their institutions and they're doing their best. You have to assume and so for me, it's not these short-term goals. It's long-term goals. It's the sustained place for various voices. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.